0: A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25 Again, LibertyShield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Tuesday the fourth of April. Hope you all had a pleasant Monday evening and are enjoying your Tuesday festivities. We had one game in the Premier League last night. Everton won. Tottenham Hotspur won. A fairly poor quality game of football, it must be said. Tottenham, despite sacking Antonio Conte, showed absolutely no sign of improvement. And Everton just continued to grind and grind and grind under Sean Dyche. Abdoulaye de Dukure was sent off on 58 minutes. Now, the decision to send him off was the correct one because he did put his hands in Harry Kane's face. However, Kane's reaction was embarrassing. It was. It was embarrassing. He threw himself to the ground, held his face like he'd been punched. And I don't mind... Him drawing attention to the fact that he'd, you know, been pushed in the face. But I mean, come on. You're a big lump of a fella. You don't need to do that. He was gonna get sent off regardless because of the action, not because of what you did. Is Kane in within his rights to go down? Yeah, sure. But at the same time, if this was a foreign player that did this, they would get absolute pelters. It would be all the talk on Sky After The Game, on Talk Sport Today, there'd be newspaper headlines. If this had been a foreign player, if the roles had been reversed, if Kane had put his hands in Cure's face and DeCourie had gone down and gotten England's own Harry Kane sent off, this would have been pages upon pages in the likes of the mail. Instead, it's Harry Kane, so nothing gets said. But at some point, we're just going to have to all accept that Harry Kane is one of the biggest cheats in English football. He is a prolific diver. He regularly injures players by backing into them. And he's a play actor. And it's not just him. Jack Grealish is the same. Grealish is probably the biggest diver in the league. But yet when you ask people to name the worst divers in the league, they'll always go to the likes of Salah or another foreign player because they've been conditioned to think this way. Because this is how the media portrays it. Because they'll tell you that Mo Salah dives a lot, despite the fact Salah rarely actually dives and rarely gets decisions going in his favour. Think back to Liverpool versus United. When he gets forearmed in the face by Alessandro Martinez. And he goes down. Oh, he went down a bit too easily there. You're forearmed in the face. He gets pulled, he gets dragged, he gets kicked, he rarely gets a free kick. Have a look how often Mo Salah wins a free kick per touch compared to somebody like Jack Grealish. Just have a look, and you will be stupefied by the numbers. Kane put Spurs one up from the penalty spot on 68 minutes. Lucas Moura was then sent off on 88 minutes for a fairly horrible challenge on Michael Keane. Two minutes later, Michael Keane had dusted himself off and scored what will be, without question, the best goal of his career. An absolute worldie from fully 25 yards out. A tremendous goal, and a goal that Everton deserved, and a point that Everton deserved. Because it would have been real easy for them to give up after going behind with 10 men. It would have been real easy for them to give up, but they didn't. And that's huge credit to Sean Dyche. It's huge credit to the players. I did say when Dyche got the job, I would bet he goes Keane and Tarkovsky as the centre-back pairing. That's exactly what he's done. And it has worked very, very well for them. Now, not having Patterson at right-back has been an issue. Coleman's had some decent games, but he is well past his best. Ben Godfrey at left-back, I don't really like. I, I'd like to see Michaelenko play there. If he's not got Patterson available, play Godfrey right-back and Michaelenko left-back. Uh, I understand why he's playing Coleman there, because even at this advanced time in his career, Coleman still still does offer more of a, an attacking thrust. And when he pushes forward, when they play the shape they played last night, and he pushes forward, McNeil tends to drop a little bit, and it's like a back three of Keane, Tarkovsky, and Godfrey with Coleman and McNeil serving almost as wingbacks. And Awobi can come a bit more uh, central. So you get what's basically a three, six, one with whichever striker available Gay, Dakure, Onana, and Awobi. Flooding the middle of the park, and Coleman and McNeil providing the width. Daesh is a good manager. He just is a good manager. And he does a really good job at connecting with his players. He does a really good job at keeping belief levels high. It's how he kept Burnley in the league for a long, long time. Now, he took over a club that hadn't been coached properly since Carlo walked out the door to go to Real. But he's still got a lot of work to do. But Everton are now unbeaten in their last five. Sorry, unbeaten in the last four. One win, three draws. And to be fair to them, when you look at the teams they played, they were away to Forest, at home to Brentford, who are good, away to Chelsea, and now at home to Spurs. That's a respectable run. That is a respectable run. They lost 2 to Liverpool, but they've bounced back quite well since then. They beat Leeds. They lost to Villa, who were on a good run. They lost to Arsenal, who were top of the league. And then they have this four-game unbeaten run. So, credit to them. And remember as well, they did beat Arsenal early in Deich's tenure. Maybe his first game. Might have been his first game. Beat Arsenal... Lost to Liverpool, beat Leeds, lost to Everton, lost to Arsenal, four games unbeaten. Deich has done really, really well since taking over. There's no other way to look at it. He just has done a good job. Nine games, three wins, three draws, three defeats. That's that's all you can really ask him to do there, considering what a mess he took over. So he's taken 12 points from nine games. Bear in mind, they have 27 points from 29 games. So Frank took 15 points from 20 games. Not great. Not great, Frank. Not great at all. Uh, For Spurs, this is a missed opportunity. They do move in to fourth, but they have played two games more than United now. And they have the same number of points. Same number of points as Newcastle, but again, they've played two games more. I still wouldn't rule out the possibility that they get top four because they they do have good players, but they need to be going and beating teams like Everton. Next up, they get Brighton at home. That's a tough one. Then it's home to Bournemouth, the game they should win. But then it gets really difficult. Newcastle away. United home, Liverpool away, what should be a home win against Palace, but then Villa away, and they should win the last two, home to Brentford, away to, to Leeds. But Leeds will be battling for relegation against relegation, all going as things are going. I don't think that's going to sort itself out till the final day. I think we are going to go into the final day in a situation where there could be five or even six teams who could go down. For Everton, they moved themselves to 15th, started the day in the bottom three, end the day in 15th. Not bad. Now, they're level on points with Forrest and Bournemouth, who are below them, and West Ham, who are above them. They've played a game more than Forrest and Bournemouth, two games more than West Ham. They've also played a game more than Leicester and Leeds, who are only a point, two points and a point, respectively, behind them. But they are now four clear at least, of Southampton with the same number of games played. It's really shaping up to be a manic end to the season. From 12th down, seven points between 12th and 20th. Now, there's a game or two variance, obviously, in what teams have played, but it really is shaping up to be manic to end the season at the bottom. At the top, title race starts now. City are eight points behind, but they do have a game in hand. Arsenal still have to go to the Etihad. So that potentially will bring it, assuming City win their game in hand, that could bring it to a two-point gap. And remember, Arsenal also have some other very difficult trips to take. They've got to go to Newcastle. They've got to go to Anfield. They're going to get Chelsea under a new manager, most likely. They've got to go to West Ham, who are scrapping for absolutely everything, and by then could themselves have a new manager, depending on what happens with Moyes. But if Arsenal can get past Newcastle and still have a lead on City with the same number of games played, or a lead that means City's game in hand won't overtake them, then they should go and win the league. They'll have Brighton... At home, which will be tough, but they should win that. They'll have Forest away, Wolves at home. They should win their last two, for certain. But this run for Arsenal now, starting on Sunday, is really tough. Liverpool away, West Ham away. Saints at home. City away. Chelsea home. Tuna away. Brighton home. Forest and Wolves. That's a really tough run. Cities is more favorable. Southampton away. Leicester home. Brighton away will be tough. Arsenal home. That's the big one. Fulham away. West Ham home. Leeds home. Everton away, Chelsea home, and Brentford away on the final day. Eight points or not, I still think City are going to win the league. I do. I think they'll win their game in hand. I think they'll beat Arsenal at the Etihad. And I think Arsenal could lose potentially two others along the way. So I'm going to put my money still on City to win the league. Um, To do winners and losers from the weekend's games, we will start with Manchester City. Just a shellacking of Liverpool. Went 1-0 behind, but were in control the whole game and just ruthlessly took Liverpool apart in the second half. Probably should have, could have and should have scored six, maybe seven if they'd been in the mood. But, you know, thankfully uh, Pep felt a bit of restraint, maybe his respect for Klopp. Um, getting him to hold that team back uh, Newcastle, big winners what a performance I think the performance of the season I think Bruno Gomerish was in that game I think mean, that's the best midfield performance I've seen by anybody all year and he's been putting in performances like that all season I picked him at the halfway point as my footballer of the year to that that stage I do think he had a little bit of a drop off for a couple of games, but he was playing through an injury. But he is back in absolutely world class form over the last few weeks. And he remains my pick as footballer of the year. Now, part of it is that Saka and Odegaard kind of split the, vo- the vote for Arsenal. The one case you can make him against Gamarish is he's missed games, he's only played. I think, 23 of their 27 games. I think he's missed three three or four games this season in the league. So you could make that argument against him. But when you look at what's around him, like, let's be honest. Joe Willock and Sean Longstaff are not getting in the Arsenal team, the City team, the Tottenham team, the United team, or even the Brighton team. I think Willock could maybe make a case to get in Brentford's team. Liverpool's midfield is pathetic, so one of them would get in as the right side at number eight. I I don't even know if they get in Villa's team because Bubakar Kamara is outstanding and Douglas Luiz is having a really good season. One of them would get in Fulham's team. I'm not sure they get in Chelsea's midfield. These are not... These are good players, but they're not elite top four level players. Now, I will say, I think Joe Willock has very quietly had a really good season in terms of all the other stuff to his game that wasn't as prevalent during his loan spell. Do you remember when he went on loan and he had that really good goal scoring run and then they spent a load of money to buy him and then the goals went away? But what he's done over the last 18 months or so, since Eddie Howe took over, is he's worked on all the other aspects of his game. And he's become a player that's more of a facilitator than others. He's a balancer. Off the ball, his work is excellent. But he's someone that links other pieces together very, very well. And Longstaff, if we think back three or four years to when Rafa Benitez was there, probably five years now, when Longstaff first kind of came on the scene he was been linked with top clubs. There was a lot of hope for what Longstaff could be. And at that point, he looked like he might become a Michael Carrick type of sitting dictator, like a controlling midfielder. And then he lost his way under Bruce. But since has come in and given him some opportunities, I think he's proven really valuable as a box-to-box midfielder. And, you know, having those two in Jolington is nice because... They all offer slightly different things, but they're all very hardworking. They're all very honest players, and they offer good energy. But again, let's be honest here. None of them are getting in these other top teams. But Gimmaris is that good that he souls the whole thing together and raises the level of absolutely everybody else. I think he's been sensational this year. And I think despite all the fawning and fondling that people have done over Lissandro Martinez, I'm flabbergasted that Sven Botman is not getting a lot more credit for what he's done in elevating that Newcastle defence. That's the best defence in the league this season by a distance. 19 goals conceded in 27 games. The next best defensive record is City, who've conceded 26 goals. Now, admittedly, City do play a more attacking brand of football, as do Arsenal, who sit next on 27. But again, look at the individuals around him. Nobody's confusing Kieran uh, Kieran Trippier with a great defender. He's an average defender. Dan Byrne is average full stop. Fabian has had a good season, but again, he's not a top-level defender. But Botman is elevating those around him. And Botman and Gamerish plus Issac up front, that is the foundation of what is going to be Newcastle's team in the long haul when they start to attract bigger and better players. Those three, they're real building blocks. They're building blocks. You can pop them into any team in the league. And they look perfectly in place. Gamerish Gumer- starts for every team in the league. Bottman starts for Arsenal. He's better than Gabriel. He starts for City. Play him and Diaz. Now, I think Laporte, at his very best, is better than Bottman, but we rarely see that version of Laporte. Uh, he absolutely starts for Spurs. He starts for United because he's so much better than Martinez. It's not even true. Starts for Brighton, though Levi Caldwell is outstanding. Stephanie starts at Brentford. Van Dijk at his best is still well clear of Botman, but this season, Botman has been considerably better. And obviously he starts for everybody below that. Gamarish, like I say, starts for everybody. And Issac, I think, would get in most Premier League teams. And he's such a versatile forward that he can adapt his game to the style of the team around him. You need him to play like Gabriel Jesus and drop off and link play. He can do that. Need him to play in behind, use his pace, use his power, like Haaland. He can do it. Not to the same level, but he could do a good impression of them. He's not like Kane because very few are. Very few have Kane's rounded skill set, but he could play off Kane. Definitely could. He's... Exactly what Eric Ten Hag wants from a number nine. He'd be perfect for Brighton. I know they've got Ferguson, but he's still very young and inexperienced. But imagine Isaac instead of Danny Welbeck. I think he could do a decent approximation of what Ivan Tony does, not to the same level, because Tony is like the Harry Kane light in a way. Does everything well. No real weakness in his game. Great finisher, great link player, great hold up play. Tony's better in the air than Kane. Kane's a better finisher. Isaac would start for most of the league. As would do That's That's where Newcastle have done really well. Those big money signings complemented by smaller money pieces so you spend big money on Botman but you got Trippier cheap, you got Burn cheap but you've gotten one of your four defenders long term embedded now maybe in the summer you go and you upgrade on Dan Byrne, Botman's still real young remember so you get someone more in Botman's age group now that Botman has that year in the league that year of experience you upgrade on Dan Byrne maybe you also upgrade on Shar, and you trust that Botman can lead them through a settling in season, then the following summer you can upgrade on Trippier. do the same thing in midfield. You've got Gamarish now. So maybe in the summer you go and buy one other starting quality midfielder and Longstaff becomes the rotation option and you've still got Jolington and Willock rotating in the other role. Then the following summer you replace them with someone more in tune with Gumerish and whoever, and same thing up front. Maybe this summer they go and they buy Musa Diaby. They've been linked to them since the takeover. And you go Almiron, Isaac, and Diaby. You've got Saint Maximin and Wilson off the bench. Then that's a, five, a strong five-man group. The following summer you upgrade on Almiron. Now you've got a really strong six-man group. Now, your forwards are boxed off, your midfield is boxed off, and your defence is boxed off, but you're not doing it the way Chelsea did it, which is everything all at once. You're doing it stage by stage. You upgrade each line each year. That's how Liverpool built their team. They upgraded each line each year. I think that's what Eddie Howe is looking to do. Whether he gets to see it through, Remains to be seen, but he's having an unbelievably good season. And maybe the final piece of the puzzle for Newcastle will be not this summer, not next summer, but the following summer. Maybe at that point, you look to upgrade on Nick Pope and you get yourself a world-class goalkeeper. And now all of a sudden, you've built this super team and they're all early to mid 20s coming into the primes together and you're going to get a 4 to 5 year run where all you're looking to do after that is business on the periphery add a squad player here remove an elderly uh, elderly an older player here add a complementary piece buy a big young prospect that you can develop i think credit to tune They've handled this money so much better than I thought they would. And I think Eddie Howe deserves credit. But Dan Ashworth has been very important in that as well. Uh, My next big winner. I'm going to say West Ham because they were so desperate for a win. They'd been on a really poor run. They've been dreadful all season, but that was just their seventh win of the season. So I do think it's worth mentioning. Uh, Doff of the cap to Crystal Palace, big win for them as well, having lost four in a row. Doff of the cap to Aston Villa, who've won four of five, and along with City are the second most informed team in the league over the last five, behind Arsenal. In terms of losers, we will start with Liverpool. What an Absolutely pathetic performance. It's abject, abject. And Klopp has big questions to answer with tonight's game. Um, Next one then, I think you've got to go Leicester. Four defeats out of five now. Second from bottom. Just don't look like a team. Don't look like they've got any real belief in themselves. And the third one is Chelsea. Uh, you you lose at home, you drop into the bottom half, you sack a manager that you paid 20 million to get. And now it's, it's a 70 million appointment for less than seven months of work. Um, they're the three for me. We do have games tonight in the Premier League. We have four games in the league tonight. We have three matches from match week seven. And one from Match week eight. These are games that were cancelled because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth. So Leeds will take on Nottingham Forest at Ellen Road in a 7.45 kickoff. You've got Bournemouth-Brighton at the Vitality in a 7.45. And Leicester against Villa at the King Power in a 7.45. And then at 8pm from Stamford Bridge, it's Chelsea versus Liverpool. So... The first three games, Leeds-Forest, that's obviously a game with big, big relegation implications. Both teams battling away, trying to survive. Going into the game, Leeds have some injuries, of course. They've got Wober ruled out. They've got Adams ruled out. They've got Nanto ruled out. Stuart Dallas and Adam Forshaw also out, but Dallas hasn't played all season. Uh, Forrest just continue to be battered by injuries. Chris Wood is out for the season. Willie Bolly is potentially done for the season as well. Dean Henderson out for the couple of weeks. Scott McKenna, a couple more weeks away. Serge Aurier and Gustavo Scarpa, they're hopeful, could be back for tonight. But... If not tonight, the weekend then most likely. Biancone out for the season. Omar Richards I mean, I've I've never seen a stress fracture take this long to heal and Ryan Yates is out for a while and it it could well be that he's done for the season as well with a shoulder injury. Uh, All things considered, you do have to give Steve Cooper credit. like The fact that he's kept them afloat with all these injuries is impressive, but Defeat tonight could see them drop back into the bottom three, and that would be less than ideal. Um, That's a big, big game for both teams. Forest are 16th. Leeds are 18th. They both desperately need the win. I think if you offered them both a draw, I think they'd take it and just move on. But this will be a game that both of them have probably targeted to win because you've got to be beating the teams in and around yourself in this league. I think a draw is the likely outcome in this one, to be honest. Uh, moving on then, we have Bournemouth against Brighton. Again, big rele- relegation implications for Bournemouth. Brighton are chasing European football and therefore you'd have to favour them. Bournemouth, no Fredericks, no Stanislas. Brighton, no Lalana. Uh, probably done for the season. Motor, he's about a week away. They're saying that's going to be a big addition to get him back. Tariq Lamptey is probably another week away. Sarmiento's out for a little while, and Enoch Mapu obviously was forced to retire this season, which was a big, big blow. You take any team in this league and take someone that's a regular contributor in their midfield and just say, right, he can never play for you again, and you can't replace him because it happens mid-season, and the, before the transfer window or after the transfer window, whatever the case would be, that's going to be a big blow. Uh, I assume the reason they didn't replace him in January was because they thought motor would be back quicker, but he had a, a setback in his in his rehab. But Brighton have had such a good season. I'd back Brighton to win that game. I think Bournemouth tend to do well at home to Brighton, and it is a bit of a rivalry game because of the South Coast, but I'm going to back Brighton to win. I just think the Derby has them playing wonderful football. Leicester versus Villa. This is a big one for Leicester because of the relegation battle. Leicester obviously no manager. So it will be interesting to see how they perform. Uh no James Justin, no Yuri Telemans. Dennis Pryett should be back. Johnny Evans remains a mystery. Uh, Ryan Bertrand is training but I just don't think he's going to play. And um Vestigard's an interesting one. He's not injured. The last thing Rogers said about him was March 10th. Anything which has happened, we will deal with internally and we'll move on from there. Any success we've had has been with solidarity on and off the pitch. And that's something I always look to protect. So clearly there's been some sort of falling out there. Um, He was booted away from first team training uh, after giving an interview where he said he was frustrated about not playing more, but that didn't seem like a reason to just completely banish him. Um, it's it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. My guess is he doesn't play for them again. And he leaves in the summer, uh, which is no loss to them because he's not very good. Villa in really good form. They've been really good away from home. No Manny Cash, no Coutinho, no Jed Steer. Only Manny Cash is a big loss there. Ashley Young played well against Arsenal, but it is a big ask to ask him to play, or well against Chelsea rather, but it is a big ask to ask him to play games in quick succession. I think you'd, you'd bet on Villa to win, given Leicester's situation, no manager, such poor form and injuries. Um, Leicester will hope they can have a, a manager in place maybe for the weekend and get a bit of a bump from there. As I've said I'd go Benitez till the end of the season and then try and convince Potter that this is the job for him. Final game then obviously Liverpool versus Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea have no Broya, no Aspilicueta, no Silva no Mendy, no Bamiang. Sterling is a doubt. Fafana is a doubt. So, a lot of issues there. Not to be outdone. Liverpool have no Ramsey, no Besetic, no Diaz, no Alcantara, and no Naby Keita. So, um, yeah. Liverpool are going to be bare bones in midfield again, which probably means Henderson and Elliot, which is... Absolutely atrocious. Uh, there are some rumors that Van Dijk, Alexander Arnold, and Salah have all been dropped. We must hope that these rumours well, as Liverpool fans, we must hope these rumors are not true. Chelsea fans will be hoping they are true. Um, but if he drops the three of them and and starts Elliot and Henderson and Liverpool get beaten again, um, I already know how tomorrow's podcast is starting. Um, right we'll take a break when we come back we'll do some news do the gossip and we'll be done because there's not a whole lot else going on see you in a sec right welcome back not going to go straight into the news there is something I've been wanting to do for a little while. So I'm going to do it while I while I talk. I was listening to an NBA podcast a while ago and somebody was making an argument that one way to judge teams is to take their home defeats versus their away wins and see what the aggregate number is. And then you can judge how good a team has been all season. So I thought I'd do that with the Premier League. So take each team. How many home defeats do they have? How many times have they won away from home? And what I thought I'd do as well is we'd have a look at goals conceded at home versus goals scored away. And see how that pans out across the season so far. So we'll start with Arsenal. They've only lost once at home, and they've won 11 times away. So they're plus 10 in terms of net wins. They're also plus 10 in terms of net goals. They've conceded 18 at home. They've scored 28 away. Funnily enough, their defensive record away is significantly better than the defensive record at home. So he conceded nine goals away from home this season, which is very impressive. Uh, we'll go next to Aston Villa. So they have... I'm going to do this alph- alphabetically, not, not by the league table. Um, they have five home defeats, five away wins. So that balances out. They've conceded 19 at home, only scored 14 away. So, that is negative five. Bournemouth. Five home defeats, only two away wins. In terms of goals, they've conceded 17 at home, which is actually better than I thought it would be. And they have scored 12 away. So again, like Villa, they're minus five. Moving on to Brentford. I think this one will be quite interesting. One home defeat, only three away wins. Seven away draws, which is impressive. But they're plus two in the win column. And they're plus four in terms of goals, fourteen conceded at home, eighteen scored away from home. Brighton and Hove Albion, four away, sorry, four home defeats, which is more than I thought, but five away wins, so plus one. 14 goals conceded at home. 24 scored away from home. So plus 10. We'll get our next batch up then. We'll start with Chelsea. Palace. Everton. Fulham. And Leeds. Chelsea. Four home defeats. Only four away wins. So that's a zero. 12 goals conceded at home. That's very good. But only 13 goals scored away from home. So they're only plus one. Crystal Palace. Five home defeats. But only two away wins. So minus three. 19 conceded at home. Only 10 scored away. So they're minus 9 in terms of goals. Everton. 7 home defeats. Only 1 win away from home. Minus 6. 17 goals conceded at home. Only 10 goals scored away from Goodison Park. So minus seven. So you can see why they're struggling. Fulham. Four home defeats. Five away wins. So they're plus one. 20 goals conceded at home. 18 scored away. So they're minus two. Leeds United. Four home defeats. Only two wins away from home, so negative two. 18 goals conceded. At home, 18 goals scored away. So that's, in terms of goals, that's pretty good. But they need to start turning some of those away defeats into wins and draws is the issue for them. Uh, Moving on then, our next five will be Leicester, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, and the (laughs) Toon. Leicester. Seven home defeats. That's awful. Only four wins away, so minus three. 17 goals conceded at home, but they have scored 23 goals away, which is really impressive considering they've lost 10 times away from home. But they're plus six in terms of goals. Liverpool. This won't make pretty reading because Liverpool have been woeful away from home, but their home record's been good. Only one home defeat this season. That was to Leeds, of all teams. Uh, But only three wins away. So plus two. uh, Nine goals conceded at Anfield. Only 14 goals scored away. Manchester City. One defeat at home. Seven wins away. So that puts City at plus six. And 15 goals conceded at home. 21 conceded away. That puts them at plus six there as well. Manchester United. United will be the one team that's Going to be a pain in the backside to do. I'll come back to them. We'll do Newcastle next. Uh, one home defeat, five away wins. So plus four. Nine goals conceded at home, 18 scored away. So plus nine. Right, we'll do United, but we're going to have to do this one by one. Um, Right, lost at home to Brighton. That's their only home defeat in the league this season. They've won away from home one, two, three, four, five, six times. So they're plus five. Now, goals conceded at home. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight goals conceded at home. That's actually very, very good to be fair. Uh goals scored away. One, two, five, seven, eight, nine, eleven, twelve. 13, 15, 17. So they're plus nine. Would have thought they would have scored more goals away from home. Their waveform hasn't been great, though. They have been heavily beaten away from home a couple of times. Uh, last five then will be Forest, Southampton, Spurs, and West Ham and Wolves. So we'll start with Forrest. Four home defeats, only one win away. 18 goals conceded at home, only four scored away. So that is the worst in the league so far. Uh, Southampton, their away record's actually not bad, but the home form is dreadful. So they have lost. Eight times at home and won four times away. So they're minus four. So that's the worst other than Everton in terms of uh, victories, net wins. And then in terms of goals, 24 conceded at home, only nine scored away. So that's the worst in the league. 15 goals worse off away from home. Um... Spurs. Four defeats at home. Five wins on the road. 16 goals conceded at home. 24 goals scored away. That's pretty good. Uh, Though their defensive record away from home has been poor. They've conceded 25. Uh, West Ham United. Five Defeats at home, only one win away. So they join Southampton as the joint second worst away team or split team uh, after Everton. 14 goals conceded at home, only seven goals scored away, so minus seven. And then last but not least is Wolves. Seven home defeats, which is absolutely shocking. Uh, only, Only two away wins so that's minus five, so second only to Everton, Uh, 19 conceded at home, only 11 scored away, so minus eight now look, this might mean nothing, but I thought it was a really interesting case to track where teams are, and if we look at it Arsenal have the best net wins, City are second United are third Newcastle are fourth Liverpool and Brentford would be fifth joint fifth in terms of of net wins and that might well end up being the top 5 or the top 6 at the end of the season if spurs continue on their current form they're going to be in trouble Um, In terms of goals, it's Arsenal and Brighton, which isn't necessarily reflected in terms of Brighton's overall um, scoring margins this season, but it is just interesting. Then it's United and Newcastle. City are surprising that they don't score more goals away from home, but they score an awful lot at home, 50 already in the league. Like I said, this might be nothing, but it is something I want to keep an eye on over the rest of the season because it'll be interesting just to see if it pans out exactly the way the league table does. Now, there's certain teams where there's a bit of an anomaly um, and then certain teams you you would just expect. But how many teams are over-reliant on their home form? Arsenal, clearly not. Arsenal are almost as good away from home as they are at home. Whereas City are much better at home than they are away from home. Even though it's plus six, it's still second in the league. There's still a gap, a good gap between them and Arsenal. Anyway, like I said, might be nothing, something I'm just going to play about with until the end of the season. Um, we didn't take a journey around the leagues this week, but we'll leave that. Um, We'll leave that till next week. We'll we'll start running around the leagues again. Oh, we can do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll run around the leagues tomorrow and uh, we'll see how everything played out. Some, some big results across Europe this past weekend. But we'll go to the news. Uh, Everton fan 8 sees dream come true after mum's appeal. An 8-year-old Everton fan who led his team out on the pitch after an invite from one of his heroes said it felt like he was dreaming. Harry's mum wrote to Jordan Pickford and told him that her son's treatment for brain about her son's treatment for a brain tumor, as well as the sudden death of his dad. This kid has been through the ringer. He's at the age of five, he became critically ill, was diagnosed pneumonia and sepsis. He was admitted to Alder Children's Hospital, where an eight-centimeter brain tumor was discovered. Doctors were able to remove 90% of the tumour, but the remaining part was embedded deeply in his central nervous system. The tumour became active again nine months later and Harry had radiotherapy. As Harry's treatment was nearing completion, his father died unexpectedly. His mum, Laura, wrote to Pickford to share her son's story, story, telling him Harry was a proper Evertonian who loved playing in goal. I love seeing where players... get themselves involved in things like this and, and go out of the way to make something so simple for them. Like this is a very simple thing for Pickford to do, but this is something that this kid is going to remember for the rest of his life. And the fact that Everton came back, scored a great late goal and got a draw is also going to be a big thing for him. And there's a great picture here of the kid with Holgate, Tarkovsky, Cody, Michaelenko, Michael Keane and Pickford uh, sitting in the dressing room. He's in the full goalkeeper's kit. It's just a really nice picture. And the kid genuinely looks thrilled. This is fantastic. Again, it's such a little thing for Pickford to do, but it has such a big impact on this kid's life. And I love seeing when players are willing to take the time to do this. And credit to Everton. They are regardless of how much I want to mock them and laugh at them, they're a fantastic family-orientated club and they really do a lot to make their fans feel included. Sometimes the fans don't want to be included, but they do it anyway. So credit to them and credit to this bunch of players. That's a really good thing to do. Uh, Hopefully this young man is well on the way to full recovery and not having to worry about at uh, that anymore, but what a horrible time for that family to go through that type of health scare, and then obviously the passing of the poor kid's dad is uh, is tragic because as as a young kid, you would assume his dad was a young man, so that's uh, that's really tough. Uh, Reading have been given a six point deduction for breaching the EFL business plan. Well, that's not good. Reading are now in twentieth in the championship on forty points, one point above the relegation zone. Paul Ince said last month, he or last week rather he thought the punishment was coming. This is the second time they've been given a six point, point deduction in two years. The EFL's limit for a four-year period for what a club can lose, or maybe it's a three-year period, is thirty-nine million. And Reading have just blown past that twice. Reading are desperate to be a Premier League team again, so that's why they continue to spend uh, money they don't have. But it hasn't done them any favors. I mean, they weren't they weren't good even before the points were deducted. They were doing okay at the start of the season, but you know, you add those six points back on, they'd only be an 18th in the championship. Now they're at real risk of relegation. Three teams go down. Wigan look like they're probably going. Blackpool look like they're probably going. But Huddersfield and Cardiff are level on points with Reading. Cardiff have a game in hand. And Huddersfield have won their last two games, whereas Reading haven't won a game in their last five. So they're trending in the wrong direction anyway. So they may well end up in League One. Uh, Bruno Salter has said. It's been a difficult 24 hours at Chelsea. After Graham Potter's sacking. Not too difficult for you son. You're sitting in the big chair now. The Premier League matches will will pause. So that players fasting during Ramadan. Are able to break their fast. That is Fantastic. Great to see. I saw that in France, they're not going to allow this, which is an absolute disgrace, especially in a country like France where there's such a massive Muslim population. I think that's disgusting. Um, It's great to see that it's being allowed in the Premier League last night during the Everton Spurs game. uh, The game was stopped in the 26th minute to allow players that had been fasting Take on energy supplements, a little bit of food, a little bit of drink, a little bit of water, whatever. Uh, Probably something with electrolytes in it, most likely. Um, So, yeah, this this is excellent. And and credit to the Premier League. Credit to the Premier League. Here's a story from France. Yeah, France's France's Football Federation have told referees they must not pause matches to allow Muslim players to break the fast. I mean, I've not been funny, but it reeks, it reeks of Islamophobia. It reeks of it. Football does not take into account the political, religious, ideological, or syndical considerations of its actors, read an email to officials. What a load of utter tripe. One of the nonce players, Zhaoin Hajam, didn't play for Nantes on Sunday because he didn't want to have to break his fast before the game because they weren't going to be allowed to break it during the game. Absolutely disgraceful that these players are not being allowed to observe. Shame on the French Football Federation. Uh, Brendan Rogers says he has every confidence he would have kept Leicester up. Uh, the results say otherwise, Brendan. They, they suggest that, uh, if anything, you're probably going to bring them down in bottom of the league. If we look at the recent form, well, you started the season with one point from your first six games, six defeats, a draw against Brentford. You beat Forest. Then you lost to Bournemouth and Drew at Palace. Then you won four or five. Great, won four or five. Uh, Since the 12th of November, Leicester City have won two league matches and drawn two league matches while losing nine league matches. Brendan Rodgers was not fixing this. And the thing is, Rodgers gets to skate now and won't be the one that gets the blame when they go down. But this should stick on him. This should absolutely stick on him. He is the one that has taken Leicester to this position. And even if they stay up, he'll find a way to get credit for it. Dreadful. Utterly dreadful season. Sir Alex Ferguson is to get his Aberdeen European medal 40 years on. As far as show us your medal goes, Sir Alex Ferguson was doing just fine as the most decorated manager in football. Now the 81-year-old can add one more medal to his vast collection with UEFA granting additional European Cup Winners' Cup medals for Aberdeen's 1983 success. Only the starting players and five substitutes received winners' medals after a famous win over Real Madrid but Ferguson is to receive one of six extra gongs to mark the 40th anniversary of that night in Gothenburg. Assistant manager Archie Knox and midfielder Dougie Bell, who missed the final because of injury, will also be rewarded. That is fantastic. I genuinely didn't know he didn't have a medal for it. Wow. It's great that they're getting it, especially for that player. Especially for that player. If you play at any point during a competition, you should get a medal. Simple as that. Right. Last thing we'll do is we'll have a look at Gareth Crook's team of the week. But before we do that, there is an article on the BBC website written by Herbie Sykes that I'm going to point you all in the direction of. Thanks to Eddie Gibbs for sending this on to me earlier today. Uh, Gianluigi Lentini, the rise and fall of the world's most expensive player. If you don't know the story, read the story If you remember him, you remember what a special player he would have been if not for that car crash. This is a long read, but it is absolutely worth it. It is fantastic. Give that one a read when you get a chance. Gareth Crook's team of the week. He's picked Aaron Ramsdale. I don't really think so. He's picked Nathan Ackie at right back. He's picked Michael Keane because he scored. He's picked Naf Agard because he scored. And he's picked Dan Byrne for reasons known only to him. Uh, he's picked John McGinn because he scored. He's picked Alexis McAllister. No no issue there. He's picked Grealish. No issue there. Uh, he's picked Tavernier because he scored. Uh, he's picked Jesus. No issue and he's picked Alvarez, largely because he scored. Um, as usual, this is just absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense from Nathan Aki. Oh, from Nathan Aki. Sorry, I'm looking at his name. Uh, from, from Gareth Crooks. It really is. It's just rubbish. Like, multiple players in this didn't play well. But he, he just... He doesn't watch football. He's getting paid... to talk about a sport that he doesn't watch. It is absolutely maddening. Right. Uh, on to the gossip. Graham Potter has rejected the chance to take over as Leicester manager following his sacking at Chelsea. Now, this is from Talk Sport so I'm going to file it among the crap. But I do think they'll get in touch. I don't think they'll have been in touch yet. Potter will wait until the summer before taking his next job, and that's probably what he should do. Luis Enrique has emerged as a frontrunner to become the new Chelsea manager. It wouldn't surprise me. Chelsea want to interview five candidates for their vacant managerial position. Enrique, Nagelsmann, Pochettino, Spalletti, and one other. Why would Spalletti want to interview for that job when he's got a better job? Seriously. Ruben Amram and Oliver Glasner are also under consideration for the Chelsea job, apparently. If I was them, I'd run a mile. Any young manager should run a mile from that job. Chelsea's hierarchy have concerns over former Bayern Munich bosses, boss Nagelsmann's age. He's only 35. I can understand that, to be fair. Um, Manchester United striker, sorry, Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag sees Harry Kane as his first choice striker option this summer, but the 29 year old is opening to signing a new contract at Tottenham. I hope he stays. Uh, England defender Harry Maguire will be put up for sale this summer, with Ten Hag calling for the club to be more ruthless in clearing out the squad. Put him up for sale all you want. You're gonna have a very tough time finding a buyer. Manchester United have held exploratory talks about signing Benjamin Pavard. I mean, he's a good defender, but he's a he's a right side centre back in a back three is his natural role. And in a back four, he's not as good. So, you know. United have begun talks over the signing of Bayer Leverkusen and Netherlands fullback Jeremy Frimpong. He's really good. He also counts as homegrown because he came through the academy at Man City. Then he played for Celtic for a couple of years. What I will say is if you're buying him, you've got to put Sancho right wing because him and Sancho would be, I think, potentially lethal. He's exactly the type of fullback Sancho needs. Now, you're going to struggle defensively then that side. And it also raises the question of what do you do with Anthony? I don't think Frimpong Anthony is as effective as Frimpong Sancho. United are also set to rival Chelsea for the signing of Shao Felix. I think he's going to stay at Atlético, to be honest. Uh, Spurs are considering a summer move for James Madison. Spurs don't have a manager, so they're not considering anything at the moment. Arsenal and Chelsea are interested in Amadou Onana. Don't like the fit at Arsenal. Him and Enzo would be really good. Him and Enzo together is something that would definitely, I think, elevate Chelsea considerably. Bayern Munich will not activate the £61 million buy clause in Joao Canseo's loan from Man City, but may try and negotiate a reduced price. Everybody in the world knew they weren't going to pay that fee when it was announced, so, you know... Tottenham will sound out Brendan Rodgers about becoming their next manager. If they do, that would be one of the worst decisions they've ever made. Now, it's Wayne Vesey who is like top five spoofer currently in the business. Tottenham line up Rodgers 11 years after he was Levy's preferred choice. Well, Let's recap on that, shall we? Let's let's have a little walk back through time. Eleven years ago, Brendan Rodgers was appointed manager of Liverpool Football Club. So he was Tottenham's preferred choice, according to this piece. Well, I'm not sure that's true because Tottenham appointed V.S. Boas that summer, and he was clearly their first choice. He was announced on July 3rd. When was Rodgers announced as Liverpool manager? June the 1st. So you're telling me that they couldn't have gone and got Rodgers before he went to Liverpool? They knew Harry Redknapp was leaving. Everybody knew he was leaving. They couldn't have got Rodgers beforehand. Liverpool had talks with him months beforehand. So I think Wayne Vesey's talking, as usual, utter her tripe. Um, Arsenal have held talks at Yuri Thielemans. could make sense on a free. A Saudi Arabian club has strong interest in Phil Coutinho. I'd imagine they're the only clubs with interest in Phil Coutinho. Chelsea have a verbal agreement to sign Ecuadorian midfielder Kendri Paez from Independiente, Independiente de la Valle in a deal that could be worth $17.5 million. Um, It's from the Evening Standard. I don't know who the journalist is, but um, he can't leave. That's Miss n- n- Arkansas, uh, He can't leave for three years. The Blues have ramped up their interest in at- Atalanta and Denmark striker Rasmus Heusland. Super talented, but they don't know what they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing at that club. They're literally just spending for the sake of spending. Newcastle are one of a number of Premier League clubs showing interest in Manchester City defender Taylor harewood Bellis, who's currently on loan at Burnley. He has been excellent for Burnley this season. I could definitely see why Newcastle would have a strong interest in him. I think he'd fit really well next to Botman. But maybe they're better off going for someone with just a little bit more experience than Hayward Bellis. I also think if Burnley come up, they probably get to keep him on loan for another year. I think that's what City will do. City rate him very highly. There's been a lot of talk that City see him as a future starter there. Um, But he is entering the last year of his contract at City, so maybe maybe he's not all that keen to stick around. Um, Is that it? That is it. That's all the gossip we've got for today, folks. Thanks, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Network.